What's your dream? What's your goal? What's your motivation? What's important to you? What's your passion? What can you do to change the world? This is What's Involved. Conversations with thought leaders and change makers from around the world. Hear stories of hope and inspiration to help motivate people like you to live your life, find your passion, and live your dream. Together, we can all bring positive change to our world. Now, here's your host, David Watts. Once more, it is What's Involved, my special guest. Been looking forward to chatting to uh, this gentleman for a while now. Uh, Just released a book. It's called The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. And when I read collegiality, I was like, okay, I'm not quite sure what that means. Does it mean you have to go to college or, or what the story is here? Uh, and that's one of the reasons I got him on, uh, on with me. So we can find out what collegiality is and why it is the future of leadership. Uh, the author who is joining me today is Mike Teke. Good day, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good. And yourself, David? Always, always good and, and fascinated to, to talk to people um, out and about in the business world, people who are doing things, who are changing lives. And, and you're one such person. And I must be honest with you, right up until the book landed on my desk, uh, somebody who, for, at least to my mind, has uh, flown very much uh, underneath the radar. So uh, let's see if we can uh, if we can find out a little bit more about who Mike Tecker is. Tell me a little bit about you and uh, growing up, et cetera, et cetera. I was born in a township called Watema, near the towns called Springs, and that township is was was developed as a result of people moving from one area called Painville because of a tornado years, tornado years back. And my grandmother owned a house there. My grandfather died in 1955. And my grandmother was left to raise her own children. She had 10 kids. My mother was the last born in the family of 10. And my mother then as well gave, had four children and I was the last born in her amongst the children. And she passed away and I was left with my grandmother who was a disciplinarian a tough, tough old lady, but who was humble and looked after us. And she raised me with values that I still today espouse and I spread those values. Simple things like being ethical, two, hard, hard work, a heavy, heavy work ethic, three, waking up early and make sure that you're the first, be the first all the time. And I was raised then, I went to school in Guatemala, at Fred Habedi Primary School, High School, Kenneth Masikela. Then I matriculated. I went, before I went to university, there was no money at home. It was me and my sister and cousins and aunts. Nobody could raise money to help me to go to university. And I was the first one to pass metric with what they call matriculation exemption. And then I worked at Fanlier in Springs, a packaging business for 12 months. And I raised money. I remember I was earning 76 rand a week. And I raised money enough to take me to university for the first year. Unfortunately, for my second, third, and fourth year, a great company called Gillette South Africa helped me. Union of the Jewish Women helped me. And the, the town council of Guatemala, they assisted immensely. And I qualified. I got my first two degrees there at the University of the North. And I came back. I became a teacher for a year. Why? Because I was going to work for Unilever. I got a job with Unilever. And uh, unfortunately, I had to start in Durban. 
And I couldn't go, I didn't want to go to Devon. And then the principal where I matriculated asked me to teach for a year. And then after that, I went to Unilever again and they gave me a job. And then I left Unilever, I went to Bayer, Bayer, the German multinational, and then BHP Bulletin. And uh, life started effectively when I started looking at working for myself rather than working for somebody else, number one. Number two, making a major contribution to certain sectors of our economy, which I believe had a great future at the time. And they still that those sectors still have a great future and will continue to influence life for the coming 50, 60, or 100 years. So that's me. I'm a hardworking person. I'm ethical. I do my best to wake up as early as possible. And I try to make a difference in people's lives. Mike, I think that's fantastic. And and when I talk to to people like you, what, what always amazes me is um, how humble you are um, about your beginnings, about the struggle. I mean, I know Kotema. I, I was I was born and bred in Benoni, so uh, okay. we were we were to to a certain degree almost next door neighbours. Um, sure. At least if we followed some of the mine tunnels, I'm sure we would have found we were next door neighbours with all the mining that went on there. Um, but you know, you got to BHP Billiton. A lot of your time has been spent in the mining sector. Did you yes. did you have did you develop a passion for the mining sector? That's a good question. 1994, when I worked for Bayer, the German multinational, a lot of people never knew that Bayer, as a chemical or pharmaceutical business, as people knew it, as aspirin people, they owned two mines in South Africa. One was a fluor spa mine called Ferkanok Mining Company in the Hammanskral area. The second company was called Bayer Chrome Mines in Rustenburg. And I happened to work there in 1994. I got exposure to mining at that time. And I fell in love with mining. I used to go underground at Rustenburg Chrome Mines. And I was fascinated about underground mining, which I thought was amazing. And that those were the years, 1994. I was fascinated by the people working underground. I liked the language. I speak about Fanaga law because it, it's a language that fascinated me, mixing different languages to create that language. And then I was attracted to mining. And in 1999, I was then, I then had an opportunity to join Samanko, which is, which is BHP, part of BHP Bulletin. And I then was attracted to chrome, to manganese, and then coal. And ultimately, the coal mines that I frequented all the time, I went underground and open cast mines. It was that attraction. And I started to spend time with a gentleman called Eddie Scholes. He was the chief operating officer who influenced me. But in the book, I talk about another gentleman called Philip Hechter. Those are the people who influenced my life that I fall in love with mining, that mining is the future. There are great things that, we could do with that, that can happen in mining. But... I spent time reading about coal mining specifically. I started reading about coal mining, looking at the patterns, looking at the pricing models. And I sort of was able to say, I may be able to predict what will happen to the future, to, to, to the coal industry in the coming 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So that was the influence for me. And today I find myself in still in the coal mining industry. Things have changed. Uh, coal has become somewhat of, I call it the enigma, but the way things are happening in the coal mining industry, it's exactly what I predicted and it's exactly what I'm seeing. And it's exactly what I'm seeing for the coming 10, 20, 30 years to 2050 to 2060. 
Now, you see, I'd love to get into that, but, but I'm not going to. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just wait a little bit. Um, and um, what I'm going to do is we're going to have a quick break now. When we come back, uh, we'll continue. Uh, my special guest is Mike Tecker. He is uh, the author of The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. Uh, this is What's Involved. We'll be back in a bit. This is What's Involved. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. More next. And we're back. What's involved today is my special guest, Mike Teke, talking about his book, The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. So, Mike, one of the questions that, that sprang to mind, and also just from, from going through the book as well, is in those days when you were sort of cutting your teeth, so to speak, on the business world and, and you were specifically in mining, I mean, in those days, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I don't know, I'd like to think things have changed a lot, but I don't know if they have. But there it was all rough and tough, okay? It was leadership by domination. It was leadership by being ruthless and, and just, you know, you were surrounded with, with these alpha males and it was my way or the highway. And now sure. suddenly you come out with a book called, you know, The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. So talk to me about that. I mean, if you were brought up like that, why did you not continue in that that sort of vein? Did you see a problem with the way things were? Well, the, 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 yeah, the observation was when we were coming, uh, growing up in the industry as young managers. You, I'm, I'm an ambitious person. I was aspiring one day that I would be a CEO, which I am. I've been CEO in two uh, ten years when I ran Optimum, and now. And I'm proud to say that I've built my own businesses and I've watched great leaders. I've watched people who are one, dominant alpha males, A-type personalities who sit in a meeting and scream and bang the tables and fist on the table and everybody keeps quiet and listen to this person. And you watch and say, maybe one day I'll do the same thing. You know, I'll be tough and nobody will take any, I won't, I won't take prisoners, you know. And it was more of that conversation. And then you behave the way they behave. You speak their language. The only thing I've never done, thanks God, I've never smoked or drank that is like alcohol because some of the guys would smoke a lot and drink. And, you know, those are the guys who are macho, who are seen as powerful people. And I observed that then you reach a stage where you are in your 50s. Maybe you started that in the late 30s, 40s, 50s. It's okay. But when you are early 50s, then you start to notice that your people's health deteriorate. You know, some people get heart problems, some people become diabetic, some people high blood pressure, and other complications that come with life. And we start to say, is it about growing? Are we growing old? Or is the body getting worn down quickly? Or is it because you are inflicting this stress yourself on yourself? And I noticed that. I do that. I scream at people. And after screaming at people, you're suddenly sitting on your own in your office and people have left. You have a massive headache because you've just been screaming at people. And I reflected over the years and I said to myself one day, is there a better way to do things? Where, one, you are able to say, listen, I've given you a task. I've given you a responsibility to deliver and you are not delivering, and make sure it's as collegial as possible. Make sure that everybody's not relaxed as such, but sitting in an, an environment that everybody feels that we are human beings and we respect each other. Or we deliver the bad news and say, you're not delivering it. You're not delivering. You're not cutting it. 
And I think it's time that we part ways. Go and find a job somewhere. Look after your children. Look after your family. Rather than breaking people down and forgetting that these are the people who we must destroy. And when they go back home, they must just be sick. And uh, is that the way you do things? No. So then it started there. And I started reflecting on different incidences where it, it may start where people are scared of you. Two, it reaches a stage where those who are not scared of you, you end up being friends with them. As a result, you ingratiate with them, you fraternize with them, you sit with them at the pub, at the bar, you talk about things, soccer, different topics. And then when it comes to performance management and deliverables in business, suddenly you can't do it because you ingratiate with these people, they are your friends. So I'm saying, get rid of these funny friendships, get rid of these ingratiating circumstances. But when it comes to deliverables, Make sure you're as collegial as possible. Sit across the table. Tell the person that it's not like we are inside a tumble dryer, the two of us. No, 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 no. We're sitting in an office. Nobody's going to get chest pains. Nobody's going to be stressed here. But the truth is, I asked you to do ABC and you haven't done ABC. And let's talk terms of you just moving on. Go and look for something that you can do better. You're not suited to this role. Why do we have to make it such a big thing and fight and throw things around the table? Suddenly, you're the one who's left with chest pains. Go to your doctor. Your sugar levels are high. Your blood pressure is high. And you're sick. But you feel like you are a superstar and it's not true. You're wearing a facade effect. Absolutely. Now, now you've touched on, on, on two um, of the four principles you discuss in the book. The one being collegiality. You talk fraternization, ingratiation, and self-respect. Now, the first, the first one, I was like collegiality. I'm, I'm not, in, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely certain where where that because it brings up you know things of college and people being clever. Fraternization was always used um, for me in a in a negative uh, aspect, as well as ingratiation, also used in a negative uh, sort of connotation, and then. Self-respect, well, that one, that one was very clear to me. So talk to me, where did these concepts, these four concepts, where did they come about? And then let's maybe chat about uh, just some of the, oh. the references from the book where you've gotten some of these learnings. So the first one, let's talk about collegiality. Collegiality comes as a result of I always have one-on-ones with my team. I'll always have one-on-ones with my team as in how are things going? How are you performing? Is everything going well? And it's informal and we sit around the table. And often because of my personality, I I, I have this temper, which I was born with. I've got a, I'll call it a terrible temper, which I've managed to sort of tame and be nice and be a good human being. And it leads to arrogance at times. And then I started saying, but Mike, if you become collegial, which I was discussing with Professor Marwala at UJ, and I said, Prof, for us to get results, make University of Johannesburg the best, let's start talking to people like human beings. Let's not scream at people, the F word, the throwing things and screaming unnecessarily and telling people ugly stories. And that's where it started with collegiality. And Prof Marwala said to me, I get your point. And it it works well for me. I find it's useful. This morning, I was sitting with our CFO in the business and we're talking numbers. And I kept quiet and I was listening. And I looked at myself and I said, had it been the mic maybe two, three years ago, I probably would be heated as in debating things in a hard way. 
But today it's just collegial because I'm learning as well as I wrote this book. That's the first one. On fraternization, I've always noticed that people tend to think that because you are my boss, then I must start looking for those things that are common between the two of us. Do you play golf? Can we play golf? Uh, do you like talking about cars and every Monday morning? Did you watch F1? Do you watch this and you end up being distracted from the main goal? So let's watch this fraternization thing that, you know what, we can talk as much as possible. We can talk about golf, but guys, we're here on a mission. We're building a business. We're creating value. We're creating a future for humanity. We're making the world a better place. Let's make sure that we work rather than spending two, three hours talking. Hey, did you see, did you see Ferrari on Saturday? Did you see from uh, Louis Hamilton? That's why the whole fraternity, the world, you become a fraternity where you borders become blurred. You don't know now when to tell people the right things and when not to, because they've become your friends. The third one is ingratiating, where it becomes somewhat of we stand at the pub, we drink together, and you're even scared to leave and go home after five o'clock because the guys at the pub will say, where are you going? You're one of us. Let's get drunk. And your wife at home screams at you when you come back. And Why do you come back late? It's... It's that element. And then the last one I'm saying, if you do well in terms of one-on-one -on -one conversations, if you do well in leading a team, if you do well in being a CEO who's respected, that's self-respect. You stand in front of a mirror, you feel good that, Mike, you're doing a fantastic job. But as you start swearing and screaming at people and throwing things at people, you, you look like a clown. You know, there is this techish proverb that I like that says, if a clown moves into a palace, he doesn't become the king. The palace becomes the circus, you know? So for me, self-respect comes because you watch fraternization, you watch ingratiating, and you become collegial in your conversations with everybody. I absolutely love that. And that's a, that's a great, uh, great sort of, um, sort of explanation there. Um, I was just talking, as you were talking about Prof. Mawala, um, I've actually interviewed him, I think, once or twice. And uh, what, yeah. a, what an in incredible, incredible human being. And, you know, uh, when, when, you, when you mentioned him now, I thought, okay, this, this is now starting to make sense because he's got such a depth <laughs> of wisdom. Um, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll come back oh. and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the contents of the book. My special guest is Mike Teke. The future of leadership is collegiality. And uh, we'll be back in a bit. This is What's Involved. We'll be right back with more What's Involved. David would love to hear from you. To leave a voice message, visit whatsinvolved.com and click drop me a voice note. And we're back. What's involved with Mike Teke talking about his book, The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. Now, Mike, throughout the book, you, you have sort of references and case studies. And I think just before um, we got into this, this episode, I said to you, this is not a, a book that, in my opinion, you would read and it's a, a one and done book. You don't read it from cover to cover, put it down and say, well, that was great. Thank you very much. This is almost like a reference book because once you've, you've read it, it's got so many lessons in it that you, that you can go back to. It's got case studies. It's, uh, it's absolutely brilliantly written in, in that way. And I think just by looking at it, you've spent an awful lot of time on this book. So question number one in this sec section uh, is, is when did you start writing the book and how long did it take? So I started in 20, during COVID, 
there was a conversation I was having with uh, the team from the National Union of Mine Workers. And I, at that time, I had started with the notes on the book. I was crafting on paper how it's going to look like, how it's going to be. In fact, the book would have been bigger than this. And then one day, what sparked the idea to say, Mike, just do it now. You're ready. Because I had the manuscript. It was something like 14, 15 pages scribbled by hand. Now I must start typing. We had a meeting with the National Union of Mine Workers. And one of the union people in the meeting was talking about he was not happy about fraternization, what was happening and what we were seeing at the, one of the mines. And I said to myself, this is the time. So it started in 2021, mid-COVID, when people were at home. Most of us were not at home because as coal mining people, we, we didn't stop. We had to make sure that we produce coal. And in the evenings, then my patterns of sleeping had become, how can I say, reinforced to the mic I know because I sleep at nine, quarter to nine. And I'm up at quarter to three or so. This morning, I left Cape Town at what? Quarter past four, went to the airport. So those are my times that I wake up. And then I noticed that I need to add another hour in the morning when I wake up, which means an hour where before I go to the gym, I must start typing. And it was like I dedicated 40 minutes, 50 minutes of typing. If I think of something overnight, I would wake up and type. And it started shaping up and becoming a book in 2022. It was later in the year when I handed it over to the editor and I sat with the editor and I said, listen, go through this. It looks ugly. It's a manuscript with something like 400 pages. And she did a fantastic job, Lila Buskakhne. And she removed a lot of chapters. Some of the chapters said, nonsense, rubbish, not good. <laughs> I was sort of at some stage feeling like there was a time when I said, you know what, this is a waste of time. It's becoming too academic. Just like my PhD I've been trying to put together my topic for my PhD and I've been postponing, postponing, but it's ready now. I've got a professor who's going to help me work on the PhD. So I started in 21, the whole 22, and towards the end of 2022, September, then we started putting proper deadlines together with Tracy and she was putting the deadlines. Now, Mike, on this day, I want this, on this day, I want this, on this day, I want this. And I complained. I said, but this book was going to be a 300 page book. And she said, no. A book is not about the pages. It's about the quality of the message. And that's uh, how it was born. Yes. I, I can imagine because I know Tracy and, and, and she is the most amazing person, but I sometimes yes. call her the iron oh. lady because, yes. um, you know, she, she has, what, what is the old saying? She, she, she has an iron fist in a velvet glove. Um, but, but, but when somebody talks about your book, I mean, this is like, to me, it's the equivalent of somebody coming up to you and going, listen, I see you got a baby, but it's actually quite an ugly baby. Um, exactly. You know, when when exactly. they talk to you about it, it's like, this is, this is my baby. What the heck? Um, but listen, it's, it's come out, it's come out as, a, as a fantastic book. And one of the things that, that does strike me, aside from the fact that you're incredibly humble and you, you freely admit that, that you're not perfect, you have flaws, you talk about um, having to deal with, with a bad temper. I, I know exactly where you're coming from there. Um, the other thing is I, I learned, uh, many, many, many years ago, one of my mentors used to, um, also go, go to bed very early and, and wake up very early. And, um, in order for me to ever talk to him, I used to have to be up early as well. Sure. And so, um, I, I kind of unwittingly in the beginning got into that habit. And now my habit is pretty much the same as yours, except, except I think I go to sleep by about eight, half past eight at night. 
Um, but but generally, if not earlier, generally by about three, four o'clock, I'm I'm at my desk and sure. uh, doing my thing. So yeah, and it just I don't know. It just becomes such a force of habit. Even on the days when I don't have anything to do or I don't have to get up, I still wake up at that time every single day. So uh, something something in common. Nice to know that there's there's another fellow early riser out there. Um, <laughs> but Mike, in the book, and, and just getting back to the book, you talk a bit, well, not a bit, there's, there's a lot of lessons that you've learned and a lot of people that you have come into contact with, which has had great impact on your life. Uh, let's discuss just one of those those interactions, um, and and somebody who's really had a great impact on your life that appears in the book. Well, let's talk about two. The person who wrote the foreword for the book, Marius Klopos, I I admired that man. Actually, in my life, I always say, if you met Marius Klopos and you met a guy called Chilizi Marwala, you met two great human beings who are intellectually gifted, who are who got intellectual horsepower second to none, who are bright, who are just, I always say to Chilizi, if you were to wear a Superman suit, Chilizi, you are complete. So Marias was like that. But the most important person in the book is a guy called Philip Hechter. Philip was the chief operating officer of uh, a PhD bulletin Manganese in South Africa. Philip used to sit me quietly. And that is the man who used to be tough, but very collegial. He used to sit with me and say, he called me young man. And he used to say, young man, one, you have learned something about you, the work you produce, the presentations you do, when you speak at Exco, the way you present yourself, the results you produce are fantastic, Mike. But let me teach you something. You can see around the corners, you, you, you come up with the opportunities and that is why one day you're going to be a great, great person wherever you go. But don't be arrogant. Don't, don't be arrogant. Okay? Be humble. And I said to him, I, and he said, you were born humble, you were raised humble, but the circumstances, the car you drive, the environment you find yourself, the showers you get from us, we pay well, we look after you, we promote you will suddenly mislead you and make you powerful and arrogant. Don't. Be careful. And I was humbled by that man. And today I take off my head because he taught me great lessons. And that was a blind spot because my temper for me was like, it makes me feel strong. I'm deadline driven. Things must be perfect. If you walked into our office here, I walk around, I still look for mistakes. And Philip taught me that be humble, don't be arrogant, do it nicely, and I'll tell you you'll go places. And he was right. So that man influenced me. You know, as you're talking about this, I, I can only really relate in terms of, of my radio career. And I worked um, for a while for one of the big commercial radio stations in Johannesburg. And you uh, was the CEO at the time. <coughs> And um, we were all, we used to call him the great white shark behind his back. We would never do sure. it to his face because <laughs> but we were terrified, absolutely terrified of this man because you never knew when something was going to set him off or when he would fly off the handle or, you know, just go nuts. And, and I remember the amount of times he used to sort of walk down the corridors as I was, I was arriving for a shift or leaving or whatever. And I would press myself up against the wall and go, please don't see me, please don't see me, please don't see me. <laughs> and, you know, 
Look, at, at that stage, um, it worked. He has subsequently um, humbled and, and, and himself and, and he's become, to, to my mind, he is, he's a, an incredible human being these days. But uh, in those days, phew, no, you didn't, you didn't want to mess with him. Um, sure. So, Mike, the, the book is, I'm trying to, and, and I shouldn't, but I, I'm trying to put this, this, this sort of book into, into a nice little, a nice little box that I can put a bow on it, but I can't. And I think that's a good thing because this is not just for CEOs. It's not just for uh, the, the, the creme de la creme. This is a book that everybody that aspires to greatness and aspires to be better. This is a book that, that, they should read. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad that it's out and, and I'm glad you talked about this because this concept of collegiality is, 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 is an amazing concept. And if I'm not mistaken, it, it takes into account something that I am incredibly passionate about. <clears throat> and that's our humanity, because sure. I think over the last number of years, and I think COVID COVID made it worse. It first got better then it got worse. And now Post COVID, it's it's even it's even more rampant, and this is we seem to have lost touch with our humanity and and and, and our, our ability to care for individuals, to care what we do, to care how we do it, um, to want to live and and leave a legacy, so that you know when when your time is passed, there is something that remains that you have contributed to this world. Am I correct in saying that collegiality incorporates all of this? It does. You know, I reflected on an interesting story and hence we removed some of the things which the editor felt that were too political. I reflected on a leader who really, I'm sure you know in our history, uh, when President Mandela was taken to court by some people, I'm sure you know that case, and he ended up saying he is going to court and he went to court to defend himself because he felt that he was the citizen of a country and he was not beyond reproach. And it was amazing that humanity, that humility out of him. And that was rather than saying, I'm the boss, you're not going to do anything to me. I'm untouchable, something like that. Those were the deep lessons that we never forget about people who are gone. He's gone, but we don't forget about President Mandela. But then think of yourself as somebody who threw, you throw laptops, you throw, throw laptops at people in the office, you scream at people and somebody meets you at a shopping center with your kids and tells your kids that story and say, you know what your dad does when he's in the office. And it's to some extent, you lose that self-respecting uh, perspective. People start to say, we don't take this guy seriously. This is the guy who does strange things when he's in, he's angry. And that's where collegiality comes in to say, how do we make a world a better place? How do we make the world good for humanity? I reflected in the book, I developed a model, which we removed, by the way, where I was talking about countries starting from the East to the West. And I said, there are, notice there are two countries in each one of these uh, regions of the world. In the Far East, we've got two countries that are at each other's throats. And it's not good for humanity. And the leaders of those two countries, why don't they sit around the table and say, we have differences and we're not going to improve on these differences, but let's make sure that for the sake of humanity, let's try and talk in a collegial manner about these issues. If you go to the Middle East, 
There are two countries that are at each other's throat. If you go to the middle, uh, far east, and uh, the western side, there are two countries at each other's throat. If you go to Africa, you come across those areas. And I'm saying collegiality is the one that's going to bring out that humanity. Mm. It's going to bring humanity out of us. And we need it. We desperately need, we need it. it. Yes. Um, Mike, we, we're running out of time. I'd like to wrap up. So when we come back, uh, we'll be wrapping it up. I'm going to ask the cold question. I've managed to get through most of this uh, chat without asking the cold question. I'm going to ask it when we come back. My special guest is Mike Teke, uh, author of The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. We'll be back in just a bit. Hey, like what you're hearing? Share the podcast with your family and friends and spread the word. This is What's Involved. And we're back with my special guest, Mike Teke. Uh, great book. Go out, get it. We'll talk about where to get it now. It's called The Future of Leadership is Collegiality. Okay, Mike, the, the question, because this is, this is kind of book related, but mostly not. Um, you said that you had a, a passion for coal, coal mining. And, and um, mm. in the past, you looked towards the future. You saw um, where we were and where we would likely end up. Um, you know, it's, it's nice for us to think that uh, we as, as South Africa can move past um, all of our power problems and, and, you know, specifically get off the grid, as it were, and forget about coal. Where do we stand on that? I mean, what is, what is the future of coal for the next 20 years? So coal is a fossil fuel, number one. Number two, fossil fuels by their very nature and hydrocarbons, whatever you call them, Oil, coal are emitters of carbon and they are causing problems for the environment and climate change. And we're going to see challenges with this with, with, with these uh, resources as we burn them. So we need to make sure that we reduce or eliminate the, their use over a period of time. We need to transition to new forms of energy. But the way we do it, the wet transition, must be such that we all become responsible. What I mean is a car that is using petrol and diesel, oil and the like, ultimately we're going to reach a stage where electric vehicles will be perfected and will transition and reach a stage where uh, petrol cars or, or combustion uh, engines will, 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 will be eliminated. There is nothing wrong with that. It's a journey that we traverse. On coal, we are saying the same thing, to say we're transitioning from coal over a period of time, 20, 30, 40 years. It will take us some time. With South Africa right now, today, we've got 16 coal-fired power stations, one six. Do you want to tell me that me and you have been talking about humanity? Are we going to just switch off those 16 and say to people, sorry? whilst we struggle with something called load shedding. We need to be transitioning slowly and saying, come bring solar, bring wind. Us as Seriti have invested in wind right now. We've got something called Seriti Green. We are building 111 wind turbines in Mpumalang. Why? Because we believe the transitioning will happen. It is a different argument from somebody who says, no, 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 coal will be here permanently and we don't want renewables, we hate them. No, no, no. I don't hate renewables. I embrace renewables. It is the future. But to answer your question, David, 
coal will still be here in 2050. However, in a very, very, very reduced manner. There will be countries that shall have eliminated coal. There will be countries will still be using coal. We may find ourselves in South Africa probably around 2050 with less than 16 of those power stations, maybe between six to 10 or five, depending on how rapid our development is when it comes to renewables and we don't leave anybody behind from a socioeconomic point of view. Okay. All right. You see, once again, and this is why I love chatting to the kind of people I chat to, because uh, for me, it's all about it's all about hope and it's all about positive stories. And um, I'm glad you touched on Suriti because I, I did some research there and saw what you guys were busy with. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. And and to to see that you have that vision and foresight is is a, is brilliant to to see. Mike, uh, the book. Is is available, I'm assuming, at all good bookstores. Is it available online as well? It's available online. I saw it's available at exclusive books. I was disappointed. I didn't see it in Cape Town, exclusive books. I didn't see it at the airport, exclusive books. And the sale of this book should not be understood as though I want to make money out of the book. I've committed myself. To, I run a foundation called Massimo Foundation. Whatever proceeds come out of this book, we're going to donate it to that. And it helps a lot. Massimo Foundation does a great job. Uh, it's run on the basis of doing something on education, doing something on healthcare, trying to look at feeding people, eliminating poverty, and making sure that the world is a better place. So that's the purpose of the book. That's why I wrote it. And it's everywhere, yeah. Wonderful stuff. Go out, get it. Um, there's a lot of times when I would go, um, you know, just make it easier and everybody get the Kindle version. This is one of those books that you shouldn't really get the Kindle version if you can avoid it, purely because there's so much information in it. And it's the kind of book that you want to keep close and you want to be able to refer to and make notes, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely well worth getting. Before I let you go, Mike, uh, what's next? What's next for Mike Tech here? Are we, are we going to expect book number two? What, what have you got? Well, the interesting on? thing is I'm building a business. I'm excited about what I'm building. Uh, Massimo Group, Group, which owns, which is a shareholder in Seriti, is building great businesses. We're investing in great businesses. But beyond that, there's a second book coming before the end of this year. Definitely. Ah, wonderful stuff. Okay. Well, I'm going to put my name down right now for an interview on that book as well. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. Wonderful stuff. Well, there we go. Wraps it up for this uh, edition of What's Involved. My special guest Thank has you been. Very much, yeah, my special guest has been Mike Teke. The future of leadership is collegiality. Go out, get it. Mike, thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man and I appreciate you taking the time out. Uh, To each and every one of you, look after yourselves, take care, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to What's Involved. We hope this episode inspires you to find your passion and live your dream. Don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. And to see what's happening, what's going on, and what's coming. Follow What's Involved on Facebook and Twitter at What's Involved. Thanks again for listening.